This episode is dedicated to Henri N., Vong X., and Joshua S., who have made donations to the podcast. I have said before that a new year is the time for new beginnings. So may this new year be a time to make things better for all of you. And may new opportunities come your way. Sometimes it seems that a new dark age began when the COVID-19 virus appeared, with all the troubles that have happened since then. So for the three of you, may 2024 be the end of that dark age. A renaissance of sorts, to use the historical expression. And now let's go to the regularly scheduled program. Hello, you have found the History of Southeast Asia podcast. I am your host, Charles Kimball. Episode 131, Sightseeing on Timor Greetings, dear listeners, for the 131st time, from the hills of bluegrass country in Kentucky. Most of the past few episodes, episodes 124 through 129, have been a tour of eastern Indonesia. And in the month of October, I took some time out from that. First, I recorded a special Halloween episode, following up on the one I did four years ago. And then I took part in the Intelligent Speech Conference of 2023. At the conference, I gave a presentation on the secrets of Thailand's success. But sound problems meant that only a few people saw it when it took place. Fortunately, the presentations were recorded, and after the conference, I obtained a copy of mine, edited out the long stretch of dead air at the beginning, and it is now on YouTube for anyone who cares to view it. Today we are going to visit an island you are already familiar with, if you are a regular listener of this podcast. That is the island of Timor. As the Lesser Sundas go, Timor is quite a large island. In fact, it is the last large island in the Lesser Sunda chain. How large is it? It covers an area of 30,000. 777 square kilometers, or 11,883 square miles. This makes it just a little bit larger than Albania in Europe. It also means that Timor is large enough to be divided between two countries. So when I talk about the island here, the discussion will be rather complicated because of that division. That's why it took so long to get this episode done. The research was more difficult this time, as I had to research the East and the West separately. And Timor's division is not for the short term. 
the only time during the past 400 years when Timor wasn't divided was probably in the last quarter of the 20th century, from 1975 to 1999, when Indonesia ruled the whole island. Today, the eastern half of the island, plus an enclave on the northwest coast and two smaller islands, is the independent nation of East Timor, or Timor-Leste, if you prefer the Portuguese name. This is Southeast Asia's newest nation. The western half is Indonesian territory, part of the province of East Nusa Tenggara. In fact, Kupang, the largest city on West Timor, is the capital of that province. We have already covered East Timor. In episodes 59 and 103, I briefly talked about East Timor in the 20th century, when it was occupied first by Portugal, then by Indonesia. In episode 117 was all about East Timor, covering its history since it became independent in 2002. Therefore, in this episode, we will be concentrating our attention on West Timor. Feel free to listen to those other episodes if you haven't already. As of 2020, Timor has a population of 3,311,735. Two-thirds of Timor's population is on the west side of the island. Part of this is due to the terrible violence East Timor suffered before independence. Christianity is the religion of the majority on both sides of Timor. Portugal sent Catholic missionaries in the 16th century, and the Netherlands sent Protestant missionaries in the 17th century. Because the Portuguese missionaries included some very active Jesuits, Catholics outnumber Protestants in the present-day population. Even so, people in the island's villages also keep some of the traditional laws, called Adat and some animist beliefs, both of which predate the arrival of Christianity. Fifteen languages and dialects are spoken locally, though the natives also know two languages that are used off-island, Portuguese in the east and Indonesian, also called Bahasa Indonesia, in the west. Besides the national governments, the locals have some 25 traditional kingdoms and several minor states. Podcast footnote. Because most Timorese are Christians, pork, called babi in the local languages, is fairly common in the local cuisine. And unlike the rest of Indonesia, 
most of the places where food is sold are not halal. I am mentioning this for those of you who are Jewish, Muslim, or Seventh-day Adventist, or otherwise do not eat pork. End footnote. And now for a word on the wildlife. Like the other islands in the Lesser Sunda chain, Timor has a mix of both Asian and South Pacific plants and animals. These include several endemic species, like the Timor rat and the Timor shrew. The Timor rat, scientific name Rattus timorensis, is known from a single specimen collected in the teak forest of West Timor in 1991. Unfortunately, I could not find any details about this rat, like its size. Sometimes it is called the Timor forest rat, to distinguish it from the other rats found on Timor. The other rats are much bigger than the typical lab rat or sewer rat. In recent years, bones have been found from these rats that indicate they weighed at least 5 kilograms, or 11 pounds, meaning they were as big as cats or small dogs. This makes them the largest rats to have lived anywhere. It looks like they survived for thousands of years after humans arrived on Timor, even though they were on the hunter's menu. Finally, they died out between 1,000 and 2,000 years ago, presumably because humans cleared out most of the forest on the island to make room for farms. Speaking of unnaturally sized animals, do you remember in episode 128 when I said that Komodo dragons used to be much larger than they are today? and they lived on several surrounding islands, as well as on the Australian mainland? Timor was one of those islands. Fossils of stegodons, the miniature elephants that used to live on Flores, have been found on Timor as well. Timor receives few tourists, so I'll admit I had a challenge finding sources on what it's like to travel there. Nevertheless, it is not impossible to get to Timor. For both parts of the island, you will need a visa if you didn't get one previously. With West Timor, you should already have it if you are approaching from another part of Indonesia. Kupang has an airport that is well connected with the parts of the province we have visited in previous episodes, like Flores and Sumba. There are also flights going to and from major Indonesian cities like Jakarta, Surabaya, and Denpasar on Bali, and from the nearest Australian city, Darwin. As for East Timor, there are international flights to Dili, East Timor's capital, but only from three cities, Singapore, Denpasar, and Darwin. Since 2017, three airlines have flown between Kupang and Dili. But again, have your visas ready before you try to travel this way. There are also ferry boat services connecting Kupang 
with the neighboring islands of Flores and Alor. In addition, Kupang sees traffic from foreign shipping. Often Australian sailors will make their first stop on Kupang after their ships leave Darwin. Finally, you can take a bus trip across the island, between Dili and Kupang. One of the buses, called Gemilang, carries 30 passengers and goes for a shorter trip, between Dili and Atambua, a city on the west side of the border. Passengers for this bus are picked up at home and disembark at the destination. However, when going by land, the border crossing can be a challenge. At the border, you can expect officials to look for your name on a list of people they know will be crossing that day. Here is what one of my sources, RomeIndonesia.com, said about crossing the border between East and West Timor. Quote, Officially, to make the crossing from West Timor to East Timor, you first need to apply for a letter from the Timor-Leste East Timor Consulate that gives you permission to get a visa at the border. However, anecdotal reports are that this is virtually impossible as the East Timor Consulate doesn't respond to emails. So unofficially, if you present in person to the East Timor Consulate in Kupang with a passport photo, a copy of your passport, and complete a visa application, they'll process it in three working days and print out an authority to be issued with an East Timor visa at the border. Take this and 30 U.S. dollars with you to the border and keep your fingers crossed. The process for entering West Timor from East Timor is just as complicated. The border crossing doesn't have free visa or visa on arrival facilities, so you'll need to go to the Indonesian embassy in Dili, East Timor, and fill out a visa application form. Allow three working days for your visa to be processed, and keep in mind the visa application desk is only open between 9 a.m. and 12 noon, Monday to Friday. It can get quite busy, and they operate on a first-come, first-served basis. So get there early. End quote. Okay, once you get to West Timor, what can you do there? The travel guides recommend you go to Soe, a small town set in the mountains. While Soe itself doesn't have much to see, its central location makes it a good base from which to explore the surrounding countryside and traditional markets. Driving time is not so long, 
when you take a day trip starting from here. And because Soe is in the mountains, the weather is cooler than in places along the coast. Cool enough that you probably won't need to use a fan or air conditioner in your hotel room. What makes West Timor unique are the local tribes. If you want to meet them, you will definitely need a guide, but getting one is not easy. Another one of my sources, CheekyPassports.com, tells why you need a guide and how difficult finding one can be. As with the visas, you may want to plan this in advance. Here is what the website said. Quote, it is almost impossible to visit the traditional villages without a local guide. This is not a matter of comfort or research, as some of the villages do not welcome visitors unless they are in the presence of a local guide who can speak the dialect and who needs to introduce them to the village elders. Secondly, even if you know some Bahasa Indonesia, it is very unlikely that you can in any way communicate with the villagers and elders of Indonesian tribes during your West Timor travel, since few of them know and understand the national language. Also, some of the villages are hidden high up in the mountains, and the rough winding roads leading to them are not serviced by any form of public transport so a car with a driver would anyway need to be hired. Although we chose to visit other villages and Indonesian tribes independently, in Sumba, Alor, Papua in Indonesia, and even around Laos, we decided that this time around, it would make sense to avail ourselves of the services of a guide and translator. The people at the tourist office spoke no English whatsoever, but we managed to make ourselves understood when asking for a local guide. Finding a guide for possibly the only foreigners in town seemed to be no easy task either. Phone calls were made and a network of friends and relatives summoned. Finally, a red-toothed man called Timus made his way to the office, and we were told that he was a West Timor travel guide who could speak English. He confirmed that he could speak the dialect spoken in the traditional village, so we were ready to start negotiating a price. End quote. Markets are held on specific days in different villages and your guide should know which ones are happening during your visit. Since outsiders are rarely seen in the markets, expect to be the center of attention when you go there. Also, it is customary to bring gifts when you visit a village. When it comes to gifts, betel nut and lime powder are two good choices. You can buy bags of them from native stalls for a reasonable price before you reach the villages. Each village has its own features, its own character, and its own local customs. So a few words to summarize all the villages 
won't do justice to them. For example, one of the villages, Boti, has a giant TV satellite dish at its entrance. Of course, this looks out of place, but it is not used. Here it is only a decoration. When the local government gave them the dish as a gift, the villagers did not trust it, refusing to even learn what it was good for. So the cable leading from it is not plugged into anything. Another village, Malbesi, is known for having a magic house. This is a rather plain hut which contains a flat, blood-stained stone, which supports a large pole and is surrounded by swords and feathers. The residents will tell you that a black pig would be sacrificed here before a warrior left the village to fight in a tribal war, and a white pig would be sacrificed upon the warrior's safe return. Today there are no more tribal wars, but there are still sacrifices at planting and harvest times, or when a villager leaves to go study in another village. Also, the village is decorated with the skulls of monkeys caught stealing their crops, which are now used to discourage other animal thieves from bothering them. A third village, Tom Kessie, is located on two hills near the border of East Timor, and it serves a special purpose, to preserve the traditional culture of the nine surrounding villages. One of the hills is called the Holy Mountain, and every seven years, seven men climb the mountain to sacrifice a goat and a rooster. The goat is killed and eaten right away, while the rooster is tied up and left to die alone. Currently, Tom Kessie has 26 residents, who come from one family in each of the other nine villages. Once they move here, they become keepers of the traditions, and stay for the rest of their lives. Another one of their unique beliefs is that anything falling to the ground can only be picked up by the chief of the village, or the village will suffer from bad luck. So be sure to handle your belongings very carefully to keep from dropping them. Also, the village has nine wooden poles, one for each of the other villages, with a large flat stone carefully balanced on each. If a stone falls off, the village it represents will have bad luck. Therefore, it is recommended you do not go near enough to the poles to disturb them. In Kupang, the main attraction to visit is Gua Cristal, or Crystal Cave, so-called because of its crystal blue pool. To avoid the crowds, the best time to see it is between 2 and 4 p.m. Near the cave is Unesu Waterfall, a popular place for swimming. There are also some beaches, but they don't come with the infrastructure you would expect at a popular beach resort. One of my sources, tripadvisor.com, gives the names and addresses of several hotels in the Kupang area.
Finally, if you like fresh seafood, the markets of Kupang are a great place to get it. That's West Timor. What can you see and do in East Timor? Well, as it turns out, less than 10 tourists come here each day. And most people don't think of this country when they think of places to visit. A lot of them don't even know East Timor is a country, since it only became independent after the 21st century began. For instance, when I list the 11 countries covered in this podcast, East Timor is the one others are most likely to ask questions about. Also, it probably doesn't help when the country is in the news, and the media uses the country's Portuguese name, Timor-Leste. Sure, if you're like me and familiar with Southeast Asia, you will recognize the name. But what about the undereducated masses among us? One of my sources went so far as to call East Timor, quote, the country no one knows exists. End quote. I also watched a YouTube video entitled, Timor Leste, Nobody Travels Here. From that, I learned that people drive on the left side of the road in this country, like in Japan and Thailand. Finally, the U.S. Department of State has issued a travel advisory for East Timor because of the problems it has with crime and civil unrest. I'm sure that doesn't encourage tourism either. Now, if you are planning a trip to East Timor in the near future, here is what the U.S. State Department recommends you do. Quote, Keep a low profile. Be aware of your surroundings. Use caution when walking or driving at night. Avoid demonstrations or crowds. Keep travel documents up to date and easily accessible. Obtain comprehensive medical insurance that includes medical evacuation. Enroll in the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program, also known as STEP, to receive alerts and make it easier to locate you in an emergency. Follow the Department of State on Facebook and Twitter. Review the country security report for Timor-Leste. Visit the Center for Disease Control page for the latest travel health information related to your travel. Prepare a contingency plan for emergency situations. Review the traveler's checklist.
End quote. The Traveler's Checklist mentioned in the last line can be downloaded as a PDF from their website, travel.state.gov. In addition to all this, the travel guides recommend you wear bug repellent to keep from getting diseases carried by mosquitoes. The tropical climate means that the temperature stays between 26 and 32 degrees Celsius all year round. That's 79 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit for you Americans. And the humidity is always high. If you want to avoid rainy weather, the dry season runs from June to November. This isn't a country with man-made things to see. Unlike other parts of Southeast Asia, you won't spend your time going to night parties and ancient temples. The social media site Reddit describes East Timor as a very laid-back place even by the standards of West Timor, without the hustle and bustle that characterizes Asian cities. In fact, it more resembles Melanesia than Southeast Asia. Most of the people earn a living through subsistence farming, though in recent years, coffee production has shown some promise. Taxis often move along at less than 20 kilometers per hour, even on empty roads. In Dili, there are a couple of three-star hotels, no golf courses, and one shopping mall. Backpackers won't find the travelers' huts in hippie markets they are used to. All the attractions worth seeing are nature-related. Here is what East Timor has that will make you want to go there. Number 1. Diving The waters around Timor are a pristine place for both snorkeling and scuba diving. By comparison, the waters around more popular countries, like Thailand and Malaysia, are over-dived. In less than an hour, divers are likely to see sharks, tuna, mackerel, barracuda, turtles, dugongs or manatees, and dolphins. And whales. East Timor is one of two countries in the world where divers can swim with blue whales, the world's largest mammals. The other country is Sri Lanka. Also, about three-fourths of the world's species of coral live in the reefs here. The white sand beaches near the capital only get crowded on weekends, and two of them, Araya Branca and Dollar Beach, have bars and restaurants near the water, if you're not trying to get away from it all completely. Good surfing is available too, but it is not recommended you try surfing on the south coast, because the beaches over there have saltwater crocodiles, notorious man-killers. Number 3. 
spectacular scenery. Like the surrounding oceans, the land is unspoiled by crowds, land development, and pollution. It is worth driving along the coast from Dili to the second city, Baokao, just for the scenery. However, the roads can be dangerous, if not completely impassable, with enormous potholes and fallen bridges, when the rain washes them out. This is where the next activity comes in. Number 4. Biking You may want to consider a motorcycle or bike if you don't want to pay the high price for car rentals. However, you will need to be physically fit to handle the steep climbs and high temperatures. The good news is you will have more opportunities to enjoy the view than you would while driving. Number 5. Calm Life and Silent Nights You will definitely find peace and quiet here, especially if you travel away from Dili. Number 6. Fresh $1 Coffee Did I mention the coffee already? $1 a cup is expensive by Southeast Asian standards. And here most people live on less than a dollar a day. In most of Southeast Asia, like my wife's part of the Philippines, travel costs are dirt cheap. But here the travel industry is undeveloped, meaning that food, drinks, and accommodations for tourists come at an inflated price. So is anything imported, due to limited commerce. Still, the coffee is fresh, and available almost anywhere. And you may remember I mentioned in episode 117, that U.S. dollars are used here, without conversion into any other currency first. American tourists will like that. I need to take back what I said about the lack of man-made attractions. One of the travel organizations that I use for a source, Lonely Planet, found a few man-made points of interest in East Timor. Man, that group has people going to every spot on this world. So here are the three main places the Lonely Planet website recommends you see. All of them are in Dili. Number 1. Centro Nacional Chega This is a prison built during the Portuguese era, but it is mainly known as the place where Indonesian troops held resistance fighters during East Timor's struggle for independence. Today the locals simply call it Chega for short which means stop or no more in Portuguese. You may remember when I talked about the Tool Slang Museum of Genocide, also called S-21, in Cambodia. This is a very similar place. Here you can see the results from the Commission for Reception, Truth, and Reconciliation, which documented human rights abuses 
from 1974 to 1999. A series of panels and photographs detail various elements of the violence in a now peaceful complex. And you can also see the dark cells where the human rights violations took place. To maximize your understanding of what you see, Lonely Planet recommends you book a visit in advance, which includes a free tour, or go there with the group Dilly History Tours. Number 2. Progetto Montana This is not your typical tourist attraction, but an educational and vocational center founded by Brazilians. Here children and young adults learn useful skills like languages, crafts, cooking, and music. The site also has a shop and a restaurant where they can make some money applying these skills. Plus a few rooms with furniture made from recycled materials where you could stay for $25 to $30 per person if you haven't booked a hotel in Dilly already. Tours are enthusiastically given for free. Number 3. Resistencia Timorense Archivo e Museu Of course, there is a museum featuring everything you can learn about East Timor's struggle against Indonesian occupation. And this is it. Here you will see photos, video recordings, and exhibits of the weapons and tools of communication that the East Timorese used. Special emphasis is given to the Santa Cruz Massacre, with exhibits of the possessions of some of the victims. Next door is a memorial garden where an eternal flame and further commemorative museum are under construction, according to the website. We're running out of time, so I won't go into detail about the other attractions. To read about them, check out LonelyPlanet.com. I will just mention Cristo Rey, the giant statue of Jesus that stands a few miles outside of Dili. It looks a lot like the famous statue of Jesus in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. But surprisingly, the Brazilians had nothing to do with this monument. It was a gift from the Indonesian government, built in 1996. Though as we have seen in previous episodes, Indonesia is not a Christian nation. Maybe it was a peace offering of sorts from Jakarta built in an attempt to end the 20th century war by making an accommodation for Timor's Christian population. If I followed the same pattern that I did the past few episodes, I would give a detailed history of Timor starting now. But I have kept you waiting for this episode long enough, and the history is long enough to fill up another episode by itself. So I'm going to do just that. Join me next time for the history of both East and West Timor, now that you know what to expect if and when you visit there. And since 2024 has begun, 
since the previous episode was released. Happy belated New Year! If you have listened to podcasts for long, you know that these days they have more advertisements than they used to. Sometimes the ads seem to stumble over each other. I have heard podcasts that had a new ad begin before the previous ad finished. Well, that's not the case here. Though this podcast is now seven and a half years old, I still do it without advertising. Alas, I have never been good at monetizing this show. Therefore, I end each episode by politely asking for donations. From those of you who feel it is worth the time and effort I put into the research, recording, and editing. One-time donations are made through PayPal, or you can sign up to make a small monthly donation through Patreon. I have included links to both on the Blueberry.com page that hosts this episode. Hopefully this year I can set up accounts on services like Venmo or Zelle, for those of you who can't use PayPal. If you can't donate at this time, for whatever reason, that's okay. You can also help by spreading the word about the show. Just mention the podcast to anyone who might be interested. If I can do it, so can you. Thank you for listening, and come back when the monsoon winds are blowing right. Mm-hmm.